Oscar Poker. On the floor of Tokyo, or down in London town to go, with the record collection and the mirror's reflection, I'm just dancing with myself. When there's no one else in sight, in the crowded lonely night, well I wait so long for my love vibration, I'm just dancing. interesting topic of right now which is um they they finally gave as you know <clears throat> a december release date um to uh fences uh, denzel washington's adaptation of the um of the very highly respected play by august august wilson right mm -hmm. uh and uh it's got scott rudin as producer and uh, tony um kushner as the uh, screenwriter, mm -hmm. adapter, mm -hmm. with Denzel, I guess, working uncredited. And we know that um, Viola Davis is almost certainly going to land some kind of acting nomination from it. I don't know how well, how successful it will work, because I think you might agree that uh, films that come from plays, plays can work by according to certain terms. You may know that Fences is mainly set in a home of a family, and it doesn't really move around, or it doesn't... Uh, uh, have a strong uh, narrative that involves crucial decisions. I think it's more of a meditative thing from what I know of it. It's about failure and sadness. and um, So I don't know if it's going to work that well as a movie. Maybe it will. I don't, I don't know anything. But I know that it's going to be an acting thing. And so I thought that the, uh, since I believe, and please tell me what you think, I believe that 2016 is, is a, as, I, as I wrote the other day, uh, the year of the Oscar, the great Oscars so white makeup gesture year. Uh, people are going to say, well, listen, I'm not one of those people who uh, only wants to see white people movies. I am a much more liberal and, uh, uh, and I'm engaged in the culture of right now. I don't think a lot in, in white people terms. I'm not a Republican. I'm a liberal. So therefore, when these movies come down and I'm at all favorably disposed, they're going to get Best Picture nominated. I don't mean just Fences, but of course... Uh, Birth of a Nation, which we all expect will probably will. I don't know if it's going to go the distance, uh, the Birth of a Nation, but I think that uh, the two of them will certainly be uh, against each other in the Best Picture Race, I, I believe very strongly. And I think that at the end of the day, depending upon, obviously, how good Fences is, I think that it's going to be the stronger pick because the people are, are very... Um, you know, they love the idea of a, of a, of a well-known big star, you know, making a film. Uh, Denzel's directing this will be like Clint Eastwood directing or something. You know, it'll be that kind of thing. Hmm. So I think that's, that'll work. What do you think about this stuff? Um, well, two things I think about it is that, you know, I've been doing my site for almost 20 years. I started in 1999, was my first year covering and right around 2001, when Halle Berry was coming up, that's when I first started to really notice and look at the history um, in mm -hmm. terms of 
uh, in terms of you know white white power in Hollywood, you could say, yeah. which is basically based on the fact that movies with white actors make more money, and they're more popular because those are the stars; those are the the people who become the big stars, and and so they get first choice, and so they get all the best roles, and uh, you know for whatever reason that year that 2001 where Denzel Washington was up for training day and Halle Berry was up for monsters ball. The early, most of the year was about, it was going to be Russell Crowe and it was going to be Sissy Spacek, right? They were the favorites. They were winning everything. They had all the critics. Russell Crowe was, remember, was in a beautiful mind. He already won for uh, gladiator, but mm -hmm. He was up for a beautiful mind, which is obviously by far the better performance and the Oscar-winning performance. And um, but he no had problem. that embarrassing situation where he 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 got in trouble for, you know, losing Throwing his temper. a phone at a, at a hotel employee. Yeah. And right. So that kind of took him out. But still, people didn't know whether they were going to. And and people like me were championing Halle Berry, and and Roger Ebert was around at the time, and he was doing that. And so we all kind of thought, well, there's a pretty good chance, knowing what they know, that no white, no black woman has ever won Best Actress. No black woman, not one, in the lead at that point. So people were making a big deal about that. And, um, and, and a lot of that was the first I really noticed. Although, believe me, all through their um, history, they, the Academy and Hollywood have been accused of, of being Oscars so white. Like, this isn't a new thing. This is an old thing. Um, and... The only reason I bring it up is because the reaction to it was fairly dramatic, which was nobody thought that they would give two lead Oscars to black actors that night. They thought maybe Sissy will win and Denzel Washington will win. Maybe Russell Crowe will win and Halle Berry will win. But it was really un about Denzel winning for yeah, for um, training day, training day. Yeah, that, that, well, that was um, that was not the thing he should have won for. He should have won for Malcolm X, if you ask oh, me. Oh, yeah. No, he was great. Well, that was part of it, was the dialogue started building around why hasn't Denzel won a lead yeah. acting Oscar. And it was a big deal, and Halle Berry as well. So mm -hmm. their reaction to that conversation was, I thought at the time, here, black people, take your Oscars. You know, like, let's give it to both of them. And it's so funny to think of it now, because it doesn't seem like that big of a deal to give two awards. But at the time, it was. In 2001, it was a really, really big deal that Denzel mm -hmm. Washington and Halle Berry both won that night. And after that, the seal was broken and Jamie Foxx won and, you know, yeah. Forrest Whitaker won and a lot of black actors won. But still no black actress has yet won Best Actress. And since then, that's what, 15 mm -hmm. years? This, this conversation has been going on. And there always is, as you say, a reaction. That There's a protest and then a reaction, and then an overreaction. And the reaction, the overreaction tends to get backlash, which then leads to <laughs> less uh, inclusion. It's a circular thing. It just keeps going. So what will end up happening is, as you say, Nate Parker's film will, will, be, will do really well. It'll get the normal backlash of it's only getting in because of Oscars so white. Same with Fences. Yep. And the resentment will build. And mm -hmm. the resentment will then get taken out on, you know, maybe they'll be stubborn. Remember, these votes are anonymous. So maybe yep. they'll be they're stubborn when they vote and they won't nominate or they won't give Viola Davis the win, for instance, if she's deserving of it. So... I 100% agree that, that what we're going to see this year is an overreaction. They do not want, nobody in the Academy wants another year like last year where the entire topic about the Oscars 
was that they were racist and that it was Oscar so white and all the younger generations who now use social media glommed onto the hashtag and every joke was about the Academy and, and they have all decided that this is a racist establishment. So the Academy's going to have to fix that. You know, mm-hmm. they did it by adding all, you know, new members, people of people of color and women in hopes of changing the dynamic of how these things get picked. I remain skeptical because as I say, I've been doing this almost 20 years and I've seen the cycles go down and, and given when nobody's paying any attention to them, the chances are very slim that any black filmmakers, um, or, or Asian filmmakers or Latino filmmakers will get noticed every so often one does, but, um, but also remember, we also, it's not just Fiola Davis, but it's also, I, I suspect strongly, uh, Ruth Nega will, probably uh, be best actress nominated for her performance in Loving. And they might try and do something sneaky by calling her a supporting actress. Right. Uh, which they, you know, don't put it past them. They might try that. Well, if uh, she gets in supporting, she's going to win. And I'll, I might call it right now and say we will have a lead and a supporting black actresses both winning. File the day. Oh, so you think that they probably will? That's that's your suspicion that they are going to go. I for, think for, it will depend new, on. Right? It'll depend on the strength of Viola Davis's performance and the strength of Denzel Washington's movie. And if if right. if they're smart and they see that she's got this thing, they're not mm-hmm. going to want to put um, Ruth Nega in that part in that uh, category. Um, I mean. Mm-hmm. Look at Alicia Vikander, man. I mean, she won for supporting for that movie. She was totally lead. She was the whole movie. She was the central character of that movie. She should have been nominated in lead. Mm-hmm. She went in supporting and she won. So that gives mm-hmm. Ruth Nega a chance of winning if she goes in that category. If she's not going up against Viola Davis. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. If mm-hmm. I, you know, if you were a uh, Lisa Tayback type person and they hired you to be the strategist. And they and you telling me the producer of uh, of Loving uh, and the distributor of Loving that that's what we should do put her in supporting, I would say you know that's that's good thinking, Sasha. I, I re- you you know what you're talking about. And they might do that. I mean, they're so much smarter about this stuff than I am. They they strategists like Lisa Tayback, those guys, they know exactly what they're doing. And um, mm-hmm. but she won't be on Loving, right? That's focus features, so that's Karen. Yeah. Um, that's good. That's more but, thinking. Yeah, so that that might go down. Um, but there's a lot going on right now, and we don't know that this stuff is going to carry through. Um, we have an election coming up. We have um, police shootings and Black Lives Matter, and we have the supposed quote-unquote law and order candidate who's coming okay. in like Richard Nixon, you know, in 1968. And we don't know what kind of uprisings there will be. We don't know what into what climate birth of a nation is going to be well you know what he right right now uh, as chris tapley noted might as well get into this he noted that there is similar so it's a good way of putting it there's similar dna between the he wrote about it uh, about the dallas shootings mm. uh but since the dallas of course we've had the baton rouge shootings and it's both black guys furious at uh at what they see is a uh, horrifically uh oppressive uh, mindset among cops and the white power structure to some extent, and they just feel this. This we're gonna we're gonna get angry about this. We're gonna do a little damage of our own, and not just weep when another guy gets killed by a policeman when he reaches for his wallet. You know, right. and so there's a there's that whole 
pushback feeling that, that's out there, and it's happened twice, and it would be naive just to presume that it's not going to happen again. It might. Uh, you and I both. I mean, if it's happened twice, it's going to happen. It could happen a third time. It could happen a fifth time. Who knows? Well, I, I, I still don't know that the Baton Rouge thing can be called that because that guy was robbing a store and the cops showed up, right? As far as I know. Well, my understanding is... Is that where I don't know about the people that called, but he apparently did not call. If he was robbing the store, I didn't read that yet. What I understood is that somebody called that he wanted to get attract cops there. That was the idea. Oh, all right. Um, he was dressed in you know combat gear, uh, you know, padding and and you know the, the, the usual thing that the people who are serious about guns when they're in ready to kill somebody they get into this gear. And uh, the cops came, and once they came, then he started shooting, and he and he took out, as you know, uh, how many? No, I can't remember how many policemen were shot. Was it like three or something? In Baton Rouge? Yeah. Yeah, three. Um, so anyway, that's the that's reflected in um, the birth of a nation, which is about another kind of pushback, but it's about uh, people of color, African Americans. In under slavery, under an evil, vicious system in the 1800s, and they push back against white slave owners, and it's what you want, it's what this whole feeling is, this is evil, this is reprehensible, the slave owners are monsters. And so when they finally push back, in my opinion, way too late in the film, which is 90 minutes, you have to wait for this, it should be like an hour or 45 minutes or something like that. Mm. They, they finally do it. It's a release, and it's what you feel. You don't feel like they're bad people for doing this at all. And then, in my opinion, the rebellion is put down too quickly, and that's, and that's not satisfying. So that's the, that's the problem with the movie. But it's the same basic impulse, pushing well, back against what they I, feel. I, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that the... This is, you know, privileged white person's opinion here. So with a grain of salt, please, I could just hear your commenters, like, flipping out over this right Why now. can't I say this? It's obvious. No, let me just say that I don't I, think that you do the Black Lives Matter movement any favors or black rights by shooting cops. You know, it's just not... Nobody's going to be on your side for that. Nobody. Oh, uh, of course. Obviously and, not. And oh. that's different from the uprising... Um, at the, the uh, Nat Turner slave uprising. That's a whole different thing because that was a pretty astonishing thing that happened. And um, uh, history doesn't, we don't learn a lot about what happened back then and, and that there were slaves that fought back and that that was an honorable thing to do to kill people, even though at the time it wasn't, by the way. It was not painted that way. Um, it took time for, for his story to be told and for people's minds to be changed. And it was part of what helped to free the slaves. But, um, you know, the, I was just listening to a story about Salem witch trials, which I'm totally fascinated with for some weird reason. And the, uh, at the time when they were settling Massachusetts, they were, they were encroaching on the land of the Native Americans. So just as they were Puritans talking about their sitting on the hill and very religious, pious people, and they started getting plagued with, with these fantasy notions of witchcraft. Well, at the same time, they were fighting a, a really long war with a group of people that would not give up the native Americans. They would not, they kept killing, destroying livestock. One village had to shut down and they, it was a real war. It wasn't like they, they were crushed by the white settlers. You know, we just thought, Oh, we're going to take this land, but it wasn't like that. It didn't happen that way. A lot of them were killed, massacred, sold into slavery, but they just kept fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. And so we don't hear enough about slave 
you know, African slaves brought over here fighting back and Native Americans fighting back against white oppressors. We don't hear that. I do think it's not right to, to correlate, you know, what was happening then with, I mean, I, I like Chris's article and I agree with a lot of it in terms of the anger and the sentiment and the helplessness, you know, of, of just being black and walking down the street. People think you're a criminal, like that all has to be addressed. But the second that you do what they just did, that, that destroys your whole argument. And, and you're suddenly a thug again, and you're a criminal and you're exactly what they've been saying that you are exactly. And you're exactly the not reason wrong in saying that it's a similar urge or a similar pushback instinct in the DNA. And I'm asking you, not apart from the social, from the obviously unwise and, and terrible, uh, you know, continuation of violence and, and death, do you not, what do you think is going to, how is this, this, this thing that has happened in the last couple of weeks and may, God forbid, happen again, how is this going to affect the audience or the receptivity receptivity uh, to, um, to... Yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely, 100%, you're right that people won't be able to put it out of their minds. It's just going to depend on which way this thing goes, you know? We don't yet know where public sentiment is going to go, but, but I can tell you one thing. Shooting cops pretty much shut down the Black Lives Matter sympathy and argument that they were actually gaining ground. And they were doing not. These shootings had nothing to do with Black Lives Matter, by the way. They weren't Black Lives Matter, but they were angry oh. black citizens shooting cops. And they, you know, not all, obviously, not all cops are racist. There's just a few of them. And um, it is a culture, you know, it isn't a. I, look, I can't say anything about this that you don't already know. But in terms of the Oscars, I don't think that the liberals that vote in the academy are going to be put off by this idea um in terms of so i don't think it's going to hurt it um, they're not put off by the idea of nat turner's rebellion of 1831 having some similar impulse uh, uh sharing with the current cop shootings they're not going to see any parallels between that is that what you're saying yes or no i, I don't know i mean I, I, like i say it depends on which way the narrative goes if, if the cop killings continue um that's that's horrible that's going to be horrible for i mean it's just an awful thing i can't even think of any upside to it i don't think it's a brave thing to do i think it was cowardly um, I don't think that it's it's right to kill cops at all. I mean, obviously, I don't think I don't go, yeah, kill the cops. You know, they deserve it. Never in a million years would I think. Never in a million that. years. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's just it's it's a really we're we're in a really gray area right now, and a really weird. We're living through a very strange time of a lot well, of different factions fighting back and forth. Of, you know, even if God forbid it doesn't happen again, and obviously we don't want to ever see any of this happen again even but it's happened twice and i think that people are going to be reminded and uh, and aware of it when the birth of a nation opens and um there's not going to be any shortage of people in the press pointing out the similar currents in in in, re in real life and this film well since i haven't seen the movie and you and chris have i imagine that something in the movie is making you feel that way because from my vantage point i have no trouble separating the origin of the anger and the fury from 
what I consider to be like, you know, just crazy people doing what crazy people in America do. They take guns and they shoot people, you know, there's no difference to me from that than, than that fucking little twerp who shot up those people in the church, you know, or the guy in Orlando. These are people with, with weird, irrational grievances and they just want to kill as many people as possible. And they'll use any excuse that they can, you know, whether, you know, what was surprising was that you don't often see black men doing that. You don't often see them going crazy and taking it sometimes, but the majority of shooters are white. And now we know that the, that it can hit. That's how I see them. I classify them as psycho shooters. I don't classify them as brave soldiers making a stand. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that's just not, not brave, not taking a stand, but many, many men of color have been routinely harassed and killed and chased and shot in the back and everything else. You know it. It's been on vi- YouTube videos for a long time. Right. And it's a pattern. And this is, without saying that there's anything acceptable or not heinous about shooting policemen, you, you, at the same time, you can't just say, I don't understand where the impulse came from. No, I, I don't. I'm, I'm telling you that I know where the impulse, you know, these are mentally disturbed people, crazy people. There are a lot of them in this country. Their anger and rage, you know, we're dealing with right. the internet and the hive mind and the hysteria from the media and clickbait and constantly, you know, mm-hmm. drumming down on people, this rage and this anger coming from Fox News and from the, you know, just, it's everywhere. You see it. Like you go sign on and you see it. It's just, and, and it has to go somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. it's just that mm-hmm. everything that we know about cops just got a hundred percent worse because of that you know what i mean and I, I don't see how that anybody could justify doing something that would put more black men in harm in the future is exactly yeah. what that's going to do more you know more it'll just be more robot shooter yeah more armor bigger guns you know more fear yeah, yeah. it works in the reverse because it confirms everything that they've been saying yeah. Everything. All those crazy fucking right wingers who've yeah. been saying to me that people need guns in order to protect yeah. themselves from dangerous black men. Yeah. Just got confirmed, you know. They're not our culture's never gonna not side with the cops. They're law enforcement, you know? Never. So it's just not a smart, wise way to go about, you know, any kind of organized Nat Turner, if I was him and I haven't seen the movie. You bet I would fight. I would rather die, honestly, um, yeah. than than be a part of that. Be be in that hideous, dis, you know, this, this unforgivable right. war crimes against humanity. Right. You know, and what's happening with cops and black men is is um, brought from generations of Jim mm-hmm. Crow laws, turning whole generations into criminals. This is an ongoing thing for decades. It's not something that can just be solved by shooting policemen, you know, and it's not even going to get their attention. All it's going to do is make them think you're a criminal, you know. Um, Well, you haven't seen um, The Birth of a Nation, but you have seen 12 Years a Slave. And do you remember what a heinous character Paul Dano played in that film? Right, yeah. And you remember when finally, after about maybe 30, 40 minutes, um, the... The, the lead uh, um, um, uh, character uh, push, finally pushed back at Paul Dano and fought him mm. physically. And that was an enormously pleasurable uh, release after all this horrible, yeah. you know, uh, torture and degradation and cruelty, you know, beyond 
believe. You know? Yeah. No, it's, 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 there's no. So why tell Aisha for it? Well, for some stupid reason, it didn't come. I was, I wanted to say the name that I've been, I heard a long time ago on a, on a film set, which is Chewy, but he hates that name. And, I, and for some reason, the name didn't come back to me. I don't, I'm sorry. But I was, um, and I was, oh yes, I was also told I'm a racist for using the word Chewy, even though that was the common uh, usage on the set of uh, Salt when I visited that in New York. So, Well, um, yeah, and, and remember, Django Unchained was all about that. So, you know, mm. the... The thing that's going to hurt Birth of a Nation more than, than these shootings, I think, is, is the fact that people think of it like 12 Years a Slave. Like my friend Michael, who's black, said when I told him about Birth of a Nation, he's just like, God, you know, I'm getting so tired of stories about um, slavery. He's like, you know, me and my communities, we don't think about it anymore. You know, we're moving on. We're, we'd like to see movies about other topics other than slavery. Why is it? He's like, this is for you guys. This is for white people. This is more about your purging than it is in our, you know. Ah, okay. That's an interesting point, huh? So that's what but, he said. I mean, you know, people might think, well, we already did that. We already did the mm -hmm. slavery movie, you know. And it's not yeah. just because it's about slavery. It's, it's, that's how the Academy is. When another movie comes along that's too much like one that they just rewarded, yeah. they tend to shy away from it. That's that's the thing, I think, that... Like, oh, I see. So, yeah, so they're going to say, oh, this again? We just did this two yeah, years ago. Yeah, exactly. I, I get right. it. That, okay. that would, I think, be in terms of Oscars, the one thing. So it's going to be Fox Searchlight's job to show how they're different. And they are different. And let's talk okay. about um, Warren Beatty's new movie. So what do you, what's your opinion on the trailer for that? What did you think about it? Well, my, my initial reaction is that I was told it was a dramedy, which obviously means uh, uh, essentially a drama with um, humor um, uh, humorous accents or, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, an occasional um, detour in the comedy, but essentially a drama dramatic uh, story. Uh, it, it doesn't seem to be essentially dramatic. It seems screwball. Mm. And that, there's a very, uh, it's very hard to pull off, you know. It seemed almost like 20th century or something. It seemed like some kind of late 30s thing. Um, but I, it, at the same time, it's obviously set in the, in the 50s, and they have music in the background of the trailer that sounds like tequila. You know, it sounds like uh, uh, raunchy or one of those songs. Mm. And there's a little bit of uh, big band music, which is a, supposed to echo the, the Howard Hughes uh, personality and his. But I, but I just felt that it was, uh, it was broad and and funny. But it, and and controlled, but you know the, his his kind of humor, Warren Beatty's humor, is not, um, uh, I would say, frenetic or, or 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 really farcical. His he he does kind of uh, deadpan farce. Um, there's a bit where he's talking about a kid, and a little kid walks into the room, and he freaks out. Oh my God! Look at this. Little <laughs> yeah. That was funny, you know. Yeah, I, I got kind of the impression from when talking to you about the movie that it was going to be about a love affair between an old man, Howard Hughes, and his young actress. But from Absolutely what, not a love affair. Yeah, from what I got from the, the trailer, it's more like about a, a young woman struggling to have a career in Hollywood. The love affair is with Alden Ehrenreich, the new Han Solo. And that is, uh, that is something that I believe probably does work. And that's, that's the key of it. And it does have a resolution, and uh, and I will say, having been told chapter and verse exactly what happens in this movie, 
<clears throat> that it does have a third act that, that definitely works. Mm. I, I Just to bring this full circle, talking about um, Birth of a Nation and Oscar So White and all that, um, I, I thought it was really interesting to look back at 1968 and 1969 because in 68, bef the Oscars were held in April. Yeah. April, And that was before JFK, before um, Martin Luther King was assassinated, before all the, the strife at the Democratic Convention happened. Uh -huh. And before Nixon got elected, right? Yeah. And the well, movie. I could say before JFK. I mean RFK. Sorry. RFK was shot in June of '68. Right. Prior to the um, convention, but okay, go right. ahead. Right. My sorry. point is, is that all the violence in '68 that people talk about happened after the Oscar ceremony. Oh sure, yeah. Which was in April, right. and that right. year you could tell that there were a lot of you know racial tensions happening because it was 1968, and we know yeah. that 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 was what going on. And um, yeah. in the heat of the night, won Best Picture, mm -hmm. and um, the Graduate won Best Director. And that year, I've always compared to the year 12 Years a Slave won Best Picture, and um, Gravity won Best Director. Mm -hmm. It was a split. It was sort of like a social conscious Best Picture and a and a virtuoso director pick same happened in 1968 right. um but and guess who's coming to dinner was also nominated so mm -hmm. that was a year where these things were really at the top of people's mind the next year which was after all the stuff with rfk getting shot and and the convention and stuff the oscars of 1969 oliver won <laughs> and it was up against like the lion in winter and rachel rachel and it was an yeah. exact pullback from mm -hmm the strife and it was more of a, a nostalgia thing and it was more yeah. like a safe and calm and let's kind of, you know, and so I feel that sort of happening here a little bit. I feel like mm -hmm. La La Land and Warren Beatty's movie, um, my, you know, these kind of like Brooklyn, those kind of films, my nostalgic movies about, you know, I don't know, white history mm -hmm. will go up against these very intense movies about, civil rights, you know, and, and slavery. So that's maybe fences and maybe, well, probably for sure birth of a nation. I think we have to just say that this is a for sure thing because it's just got yeah. too much buzz and the studio behind it. Fences is still an unknown thing because it's, um, and then loving. And then there's another one. What is it called again? Um, oh, United Kingdom. United Kingdom, right, with Rosamund Pike, which is... That's going to be more of a, of a minor key thing, if you ask me. It's directed by Ama Asante, who's the director of Bell, which I thought was very uh, well produced in terms of production design and, and it made you feel like you were really back in, in the 1800s, but I thought it, it didn't have a lot of energy. Right. So that exactly, exactly. So the, the what I'm wondering is, by the time all of this rolls around and we're at Telluride and stuff, what's yeah. going to be the juice powering this thing, and and what movies are going to get left behind? For instance, if Warren Beatty keeps his movie out of Telluride because he wants to open it later in the year to get more money, mm -hmm. it's going to be pretty hard for him to build buzz without that stuff. I mean, he's basically going to be aiming at the senior citizen set. They're reliable box office now we know that right they they do go to the movies and they, they do he, there's them. also the uh, like joe layden said on the in the column that it might be because it's opening right around thanksgiving so it might be that one movie that uh the family feels that they can go to it's not going to be too right video gamey it's going to be more uh, you know but but yeah. if he if he did get it into the awards scene um it might have a chance if 
of doing a little bit better because of the strong female lead, and, and it can tap yeah. into that a little bit. Um, yeah, I, as I said in the, in the column, I believe that if he if he has this uh, critical um, consensus that comes out of an, an elite few, not at Toronto, not at New York necessarily, but just Telluride, if he just did that, uh, he would have, if anybody is going to understand and get the sensibility or or give him the benefit of the doubt, or be kind, or be uh, honestly amazing. It's going to come out of Telluride. That's For sure. The, and imagine they could do a tribute to him in Telluride. The whole thing. Um, yeah. That would be astonishing and yeah. historic, and it would be almost bigger than, than the Oscar race even. Like, uh, I know that, that you know we did Inside Lewin Davis up there, and obviously it didn't get nominated right. for anything. But it was still pretty damn cool to have, yeah. you know, a, a, for him, it would be a soft landing um, and it would generate buzz and it yep. would be a big deal because it would be a good way for Warren Beatty to get out there and be like, Warren Beatty yep. is back with a, with a very loving and receptive audience as opposed to, and, hmm. and film critics, let's face it, um, you know, you're sitting in a room with Warren Beatty, your head is going to explode yeah. <laughs> but um but if he doesn't i feel like it's just gonna get kind of um lost in the shuffle a bit which is maybe what he wants maybe he doesn't want the focus on him you know i don't know what he, he's thinking but he's um i i think he's missing an opportunity and it's, it would be a shame but he but he may just decide to be opening it and and uh in in the traditional way and have fox publicity people give him all this attention, he just, I don't know what, what the, you know. I would do, I think, my advice would be to do Telluride. I would not do Toronto. Right. Um, it's too big. It would get lost. It's not a good starting point for a movie like that. Oh, guess what? Uh, just popped through on Variety. Roger Ailes is out at Fox News. And that follows the um, Variety story that came out this morning that alluded to a possible sexual harassment that Megyn Kelly had right. experienced. Jesus, what and, a piece uh, of work. She had not said anything in support of Ailes. You may remember that people were at the, at the network were saying, well, I, um, uh, I, I find he's been a good person to me, and he, he helped my career, and he's a good manager, and he's, you know. In other words, they avoided everything yeah. uh, except for the sexual uh, harassment allegations. And they just said he's a good fellow, you know, let's... Let's consider all sides, and and she didn't say anything, so that told you something. And then this thing about her popped this morning, and now he's according to Friday he's out. Wow, incredible! Um, so that was uh, coming. I, you know, there's supposedly an internal review, and the two sons of Rupert Murdoch were not fans of his, and so that's it. The guy that started Fox News is, o is over. He's uh, these the, the new Bill Cosby has gone down. Yeah, um, but the new but the Fox will still live on, won't it? Fox will still live on. And it's Fox in its evilness will still live yeah. on, yes. And it's just getting bigger and bigger. It's almost the new normal, which is a shame because, mm -hmm. you know, in the world of now all news being clickbait and biased, um, they're winning. You know, right. they have the biggest kind of yeah. mobilization force. They're not They're not fractured. Um, just mm -hmm. quickly, um, you wrote about uh, Michael Keaton and the founder getting bumped, and you see that as a bad sign, but it's still opening in limited release at the end of the year, isn't it? So it's still in the Yeah, Oscar. they're going to uh, broaden it in January, and you have to... I've read it. I've read it. Here's the thing. If it, if it had any kind of a... They were, I believe, this is my suspicion, I believe that Weinstein was convinced that it was not going to be as popular as they would have preferred. 
and that they felt it would, they could open it with a less of a P&A commitment in August and they could see a, a bigger profit. They're not supposed to be in the healthiest of shape financially these days, Weinstein Company. And, um, but the, the bottom line is that the founder is a, <clears throat> he's really a, a, in a in microcosm, a, a portrait of, of ruthless capitalism Mm. and about how the homegrown business, the good idea, the people that really sweated to make a, one restaurant come, come to, into being and then another, and, you know, the McDonald brothers, uh, they let the fox into the chicken coop, so to speak, to uh, expand and broaden and make more money, and then they took a buyout. Uh, but they basically, uh, Michael Keaton is the jerk of the guy who's not very likable, who's a little um, strident and a little... Uh, and maybe not somebody you really sidle up to and admire, but he's the guy who made McDonald's into this monstrous empire that it became. And uh, it's it basically saying that sometimes the less than likable asshole is the person who makes things happen, and the good people, the guy, the people with souls and with love in their hearts, and you know who who believe in quality, that doesn't necessarily make big money. So it's really a, co a comment about capitalism. Um, and, and the food industry and corporatism and all the rest of it. So it's, it's not exactly something that makes you feel um, good at the end. But right. it's a pretty good piece. You know, it's not bad. It sounds like great. It. I don't know why they would want to hide that. Like that to me seems like a really good movie yeah. I'd, li I'd really like to see. I'm not sure why they're bumping it. Well, they, they bumped it out. In, they put it into the August, which is clearly a sign that they didn't have a great amount of faith in its Oscar season potential. And they put it, they're putting it into, what, mid-December? So they're basically saying we can get a little bump out of it. Um, For awards. So, you know. Oh, good. Well, that's good. Then that dark. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just starting to, like, see... Uh, you know, the various themes that are heading for the Oscar race, which, uh, to be honest, aren't that different from the last 20 years that I've been doing. <laughs> they all, movies are made now for the Oscars, so they tend to sort of be in the same realm. I'm, I'm really going to be looking forward for movies that are surprising, that pop out, that, you know, we don't expect and we don't see coming and just turn out to be really great movies, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's always the best part. I think, and uh, and so I'll be looking out for that. Um, what is Dali? Well, the final question: What do you were you a person who saw and enjoyed the uh, what was it, forty-eight frames or sixty frames per second high-speed uh, process that Peter Jackson's The Hobbit oh was made? Do you see it that way? I it was the worst movie one of the worst cinematic experiences of my life walk I, I could not and I will never see another I didn't I only watched the first Hobbit it was so bad I would never go back and see the other two because of a, that. you mean above and beyond your feelings about the film itself the process bothered you horrible okay you liked it I know but um, but I thought oh no they need to do they need to improve this but the movie itself was terrible too so that didn't help but yeah I didn't think the movie is very good at all but the process is um, is, you know, we're just accustomed to seeing films in a certain way, and we like a certain amount of texture. We like that 24 frames per second reality that's, um, you know, I think at the very least, if the norm were 30 frames, it would be a little more uh, to my liking. Yeah. I mean, I get it that what's happening big picture-wise is that, you know, you can see what's about to happen in the future. You can see it yeah. from where we sit. You can see that traditional dramas and um you know mm. movies like that are going to be chased out of the th big theaters and that it's just going to keep going towards 
inventive, reinventive. What, you know, like Steven Spielberg and George Lucas predicted this, you know, big yeah. event movies that have to be seen on the big screen to be experienced so that people yeah. will pay money to see them. Otherwise, they'll just wait a couple weeks and they'll watch it on VOD, you know. But, so what's um, your thoughts then about Billy Lynn, which, as you know, is I'm not even sure about this. Is it entirely shot in 120 frames or is it just the battle sequences? Well, one thing is that they're very different temperaments, Peter Jackson versus Ang Lee. Ang Lee's very humble. Yeah. Um, he'll listen yeah. to people if it's bad. He's not an arrogant dude like uh, yeah. Peter Jackson who thinks he's always right. Mm -hmm. You know, there are good things and bad things about that kind of person. They, you know, they can achieve great things and then they can also not be talked to, not be talked to when there's something wrong and I don't uh -huh. think Ang Lee is that guy. So I trust him. You know, I think if it's bad and it looks terrible, someone will tell him and he won't he won't do it that way. He'll figure, mm -hmm. figure something else out. Mm -hmm. So I am looking forward to it. In fact, that's probably my number one most anticipated is that movie. But it has a process that you found horrific. In The Hobbit. <laughs> okay. So you now you're saying it wasn't so much the, the, the technology, but it was mostly the movie, right? It was both. I mean, it was like, you know, there were moments where like Smaug's eye I thought was really beautiful and impressive, but the rest uh -huh. of it looked like, you know, high quality video game. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah. and that's just not my thing. I'm sure that young kids like my daughter who, you know, their whole experience of media is, you know, are these games uh -huh. will go see a movie like that and they won't know the difference and uh -huh. they won't care. It'll just look cool. It'll look like their video games do kicked up a notch, you know, right. Right. but I felt that the speed was off. Like I felt it was either moving too fast or it just looked weird, uh -huh. but I'm an old person, you know, I'm, I'm out. So it doesn't matter what I think. <laughs> it really doesn't. I mean, you know, I prefer beautiful, you know, traditional cinematography and you know grainy looking movies that people like um fincher and scorsese and spielberg and these guys make those are the kind of movies that i like you know i'm not quite ready for all the innovations in cinema that are coming i, I see them i know that it's inevitable um i'm just not like jumping up and down about it that's not why i go to the movies you know I said a long time ago, you know, that the first time that high speed, uh, high frame rate, high speed um, was introduced was way back in the early 80s. And I was at one of the first demonstrations of it uh, when I was at the Hollywood Reporter in 83. And it was ShowScan. And that was uh, something that became, uh, that was 60 frames per second in an IMAX for format. And that became something that was uh, used at um, ma mainly amusement parks like Universal and other places it's um but it never really caught on at all as a, a theatrical thing um but i i was saying remember saying somebody saying at the time a really interesting thought at the time one of my favorite films was betrayal the um david jones adaptation of the harold Binter play which i one of my favorite films of all time mm. and somebody said you know what i'd like to do i'd like to see betrayal in show scan <laughs> and it's purely indoor shots medium shots of people talking and not do anything of a, uh, you know, wild, eye-catching, intense nature, but just show it and show it. And that was so brilliant. I love that idea. Yeah, I agree. Like, I don't think you can necessarily, with me anyway, replace a good movie with a shitty one and think that the visuals are going to make up for it. Watching yeah. The Shallows with, um, with uh, Blake Lively, I was thinking... Yeah. This is why we go to the movies. Like, yes, it's not that great of a movie. Yes, the shark looks fake and it gets really stupid at the end, but you don't mm -hmm. go for that necessarily. Maybe you do, but 
but but it's everything else. It's her face blown up so giant in front of you. It's the sounds mm-hmm. that the you know the sound department makes, and they're just so heightened. And right. you know, you you feel so much just watching her do something as mundane as you know putting her taking off her wetsuit or putting on her wetsuit like that stuff blown up on a big screen. Mm-hmm. Why not? You know, why not look at all this stuff? If if we're going to the movies to be dazzled by the bigness of it all, mm-hmm. the bigness of the screen, you know, why not put ordinary stories and ordinary people on? And um, Speaking of Blake Lively, and we'll wrap, this will be the final thing. Woody's uh, movie opened. Uh, have you seen it? So you no. didn't go to Cannes, so have you right. seen it? No, I'm not going to see it either, probably. You're no. probably not going to see the Woody movie. I don't have any interest. Every single movie that I've seen of his, I've not liked. You know, they're just, they're not good anymore. You know, he's just not, it's the same thing over and over again. The same kind of dialogue, the same kind of characters, the same kind of plot. You know, I have the same problem with him as I do with Tarantino. It's like they're they're just dealing in their own mind now. Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 it's interesting up to a point, but it's boring to me, so... When was the last Woody film that you felt did not uh, that did something a little extra that surprised um, you? I, you know, if I really the the, be, the last movie he made that I really loved was Husbands and Wives, but I would give him Match Point as the one that yeah I mm-hmm. think had had some interesting thing going on in it. Other than even though it was Crimes and Misdemeanors Redux plot wise, you know, mm-hmm. um, but his great movies are great, you know, and he's he's not quite I don't know the Soon Yi thing really I think messed him up as an artist you know he stopped really being able to deal with the truth because he's living such a big 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 lie yeah and so his self his analysis of self his analysis of life there's always this tinge of bitterness to it all you know this this like kind of because he's just constantly having to justify his existence and Crimes and Misdemeanors was the film that sank in the deepest with me probably because of the uh uh the acceptance that people can do horrible things, yeah, and move past it and 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 get over it mostly. I mean, they'll, every now and then a nightmare will plague them, and they'll wake up at three in the morning. But otherwise, they can more or less adjust to having been monsters and having done something awful. Absolutely, that is an absolute masterpiece. If you think yeah. of the three different stories, the the funny Alan Alda character. Yeah. And the documentary that that um, the Woody character is making about him—that whole like this whole thing is like a Woody Allen biography and a, and a really good honest examination of self. And then you have um, you have the murder and you have that wonderful Angelica yeah. Houston performance, which is so great. That whole thing and and the the two of them meeting up at the end, talking about the crime and the misdemeanor, you know. And it's, and it's just, got my favorite all-time Hollywood line, which is that it's. It's dog eat dog. In fact, it's worse than eat dog eat dog. It's dog won't return the other dog's phone call. That's right. one of my favorite lines of all time. Oh God! And the and the if it bends, <laughs> if it bends, it's funny. If it breaks, it's not yeah. funny. <laughs> uh, that is a a masterpiece. I loved that movie, and I miss that Woody. You know. Yeah. I miss that guy. Um, well, I, I, I I'm sure you understand that if he doesn't make a film every year. He will feel profoundly gloomy and depressed, yeah. and he won't know what to do with himself. And it's the only thing that he has to make himself uh, feel alive and sane, and and not and not. I totally get that, and he has every right to do it. I just myself, I'm bored of seeing those movies. I'm not interested anymore. He lost me about five films ago, you know, and I haven't. Uh-huh. I only saw that last one because it was at Cannes when I was there. 
Yeah. And it was fine, Irrational Man, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm sure if you're a Kristen Stewart fan, you should see this, because I'm sure she's great in it, you know? Mm-hmm. Can't wait until you finally see uh, Personal Shopper. Yeah, when is that going to start showing here, ever? Well, it's not going to show at Telluride, because they don't like it, but uh, Kent Jones, I know, likes it, and you said you're going back to New York. I was thinking about it. Yeah, actually, somebody offered me a place to stay, so I might go. You were saying. Oh, that's a deciding factor. Exactly. Yeah, because it's so expensive. <laughs> What's it like? Two grand to stay there. You know, if you wanted to go for the festival, yeah. that's ridiculous. If you're going to go, uh, try and be there. Uh, and don't rather than struggle through trying to get public tickets, uh, which you can always do. You can buy them, uh, and they do offer people with who are press credentialed the opportunity to buy tickets. Uh, or preferentially in terms of, you know, you can, you can get them more, more easily. But uh, it's just simpler to see the press screenings. So I would arrange to go there sometime around the time when they press screen the Kristen Stewart, uh, Olivier Assayas film. The, the, the press screenings all happen early, right, before the festival? Is that right? They start about a week, sometimes maybe as much as nine or ten days before it begins. And such a long, drawn-out festival that mm. it'll, say, begin, let's say, around the 26th of September, and it's not over until roughly the um, tenth, uh, the twelfth of October, or something like that. It usually goes so it's like two weeks and then some is how long this thing lasts. Yeah, so it's, it's right. not a, it's not over in you know like ten days. It's, it's longer. Right. So. Um, so do they show all the screenings of the press, even the like gala openings and stuff like that? Everything gets shown at press screenings for sure. Yes. All right. Well, that's probably what I'll do. I'll get credentials and I'll just try to do it yeah. that way. Even though there's probably not a movie that they're going to be playing there that I can't also see here in L.A. That's what Chris Tapley does. He just arranges to see those movies. Here. Well, he's right. They do show the big ones concurrently. Uh, so that's not a horrible thing uh, for somebody who wants to see. Like, I mean, I, when I mean the big ones, I mean the centerpiece, the opening night. Yeah. Right, uh, that's right. They'll sometimes be sometimes even the sneak. Is I do that? Do they ever show one of their sneaks here? I don't know. And probably not. But it's it's only usually about two or three movies, and and justifying flying out there for two or three movies is you know is obscene. But if I could have a place to stay, I could do it. It would be cheap. You that's know? a big big factor. That's very good if you're if you've been given that. So. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm certainly facing. I, I can't constantly flop at Jet's place. I'd like give them a little breathing space so I. So I have to find something, and, and, and even if I, say, go to, the cheapest thing I could do would be to stay in New Jersey somewhere and take a bus in. Yeah, I know, I thought about that too, actually. Um, Somehow that misses the whole point of being in New York to stay in New Jersey. But It's uh, a huge drive, you know, it's, it's a pretty major commute every day, you know. But um, I used to do it from, from, uh, from Bergen. Uh, North Bergen. I used to live there, and I took a bus into the city every day to go to screenings, and it was uh, it was doable. It was like a you know forty minute thing. Go through the Lincoln Tunnel every day. Right, Boy, right, right. <laughs> what a way to, to to do the New York beat. Yeah, exactly. Know. I mean, and you could probably try to stay in Brooklyn. There might be something in Brooklyn too, for that matter. When I had a, a place on Bank Street in New York City in '81, I did a I got a sublet. And the rent was three twenty-five. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! It's horrible. Don't tell me that. And the real rent. This is a guy who was uh, who has was paying rent, but he was getting a profit off me. The actual rent was like one eighty-five or two hundred. Jesus. 
you know, he's making a hundred bucks a month off me and change. So. Okay. All right. Have Talk a good day. You, you too. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to episode 127 of Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com and Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com. We'll be back next week with another episode, or uh, maybe two weeks, depending. Um, and the bumper music were two songs by Civil Twilight, Dancing With Myself, which you know is a Billy Idol song, and When When. Thanks for listening. Wanna see the lights in your eyes, I wanna see the shadows on your face. I wanna see the mountains you climb, I wanna see the rivers that you chase Wanna lose, wanna lose, wanna lose myself again Something that's beautiful should never go without a friend See you again When, when, when am I gonna see you again? Late September, I heard myself on the radio There's a first time for everything And then there's a time to go So you walk through those doors And you got on that airplane And the question sang in my brain When, when, when am I gonna see you again? Tell me when I will be who I've always been A captive on your ways A leaf in your wind Nothing's the matter It's just a matter of time Even though there's not a soul in the world That can tell me when or why